Amen. Please be seated. And uh, turn your copy of God's Word to the book of Matthew, Matthew chapter 3. We're working uh, verse by verse through Matthew and getting knowing Jesus better, what his call to us is. Um, if you have children age 2 and 3, always before the singing, uh, before the offertory, right at the time of the offertory, they are dismissed to junior worship, so if they would like to go out now, um, they're welcome to uh, go and join that class at this point. Uh, Matthew chapter 3, this is verses 1 through 12. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is he who was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah when he said, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Now John wore a garment of camel's hair and a leather belt around his waist, and his food was locusts and wild honey. Then Jerusalem and all Judea and all the region about the Jordan were going out to him, and they were baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to his baptism, he said to them, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruit in keeping with repentance, and do not presume to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. <coughs> Even now, the axe is laid at the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown in the fire. I baptize you with water for repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. This is the word of God. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, as we come to this text, we do pray that you would lead us in the ways of repentance, that you would lead us in the ways of life. Father, that you would be the one who would examine our hearts and lead us in the truth everlasting. Use my words, use me as a vessel for your purposes. Father, for your honor and glory, that we would know of our purpose, that we would know of the joy that is available in the Lord, and that we would know of boundless love, Father, for us, and then to send out the world. Father, help us and lead us as we look in this text. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm very grateful for GPS insofar as we use GPS. Recently, I was on a trip, and I think we were going to Blacksburg, and um, we usually use it to go where we need to go used to be that I'd plan out my whole trip with a map. I'd have a physical map, and I'd plan out my whole trip wherever I was going to go, and we'd have it with us, but we don't do that anymore. I just kind of show up and flip it on and just tell me where I need to go, what turns I need to go. Well, this time, for some reason, I wasn't using it. I think we're going to Blacksburg, but I was pretty certain that I knew the way to go, and so much that I headed up to this intersection to get on the interstate, and I knew which exit I needed to take, and so I took that exit. Now, the whole time my daughter is telling me, Dad, it's not this one, it's the next one. I said, no, no, I know it's this one. It's just a confusing intersection. Well, you can guess what happened next. I was wrong. And 20 minutes later, we were back on our way in order to go the, the way we needed to go. Well, repentance is a part of all of life um, as well as 
our spiritual life. And as we come to Matthew chapter three, we see very clearly a call to repentance that is given to the church. It's because something, is, something big is coming. John the Baptist, he's here on the scene. Um, the kingdom of heaven is coming, and John the Baptist is announcing it, and he is calling people to repentance so they would not miss it. When people are content with the way that they're going, when they're not looking for a change, when they're content with sin, when they're content just to maintain power or comfort instead of seeing God's power, when they're happy with unrighteousness, well, those are the times that repentance seems unnecessary and that the kingdom of heaven is missed. But the kingdom of heaven and entrance into that is the transference over to a new citizenship, a new kingdom. It's a transportation of something that is sinful and limited to a kingdom that is infinite and is good. It lasts forever. That is eternal life. And in order to get there, we recognize there has to be an abandonment of what's here. What's required to come in the kingdom, we see that in verses 1 and 2 of our passage today. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. We remember at this point, Jesus has not been yet revealed uh, for, uh, to, to the nations, not been revealed inside of his baptism. Um, there is some mystery and wonder of who this Messiah and this deliverer is going to be. But God has shown to John the Baptist in this case that it's almost here. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. The one who is going to inaugurate the, the kingdom is about ready to come, and you're about ready to see it, and it's time to get ready. And you're ready by repenting. That's what we want to look at today. We want to look at repentance. Because if we want to be part of that kingdom of heaven, we too must repent. And so what we're going to do is we look at our passage today, we see some various responses to uh, this call to repentance, and it gives us a picture for ourselves to examine ourselves with, and our own call to repentance. What is it, and what does it look like for us? What's our call? Is it time for us to consider our own lives? Is there something that we need to repent of? Is there some business that we need to do with God? And maybe as we work through this, there are some things that you would be able to consider for your own life. So our first point is revival and repentance. Uh, Jesus is coming. Uh, he's bringing his kingdom with him. And John the Baptist is the message, messenger to get people ready. We see this in verse 3. For this, John the Baptist, it's he who was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah when he said, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. Now this is the, John the Baptist is the first prophet who had been given to Israel for 400 years. Since the end of the book of Malachi, last book in the Old Testament, um, there had been 400 year gap in prophets. Could be seen as a silence of God, a quietness from God, but there's no doubt that God's plan was still intact, that God's purposes were still moving forward. They may have been moving forward quietly, but they still had his word in the Old Testament, which had been given to them, and they were moving forward to see what God would reveal in the, in the sending of a Messiah, of a Savior, into the world. And so this is a prophecy about a prophet who is to come, somebody who is going to come, and as it says, telling the people to prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. Now when Jesus came, he knew the paths that he was on. 
We see his path um, over the past few weeks of going down to Egypt and coming back. God's ordained paths for him there. We see, if we're going to look ahead, we see him intentionally uh, working in Jerusalem. Then we see him intentionally working places like Galilee and then intentionally going down towards the cross. He knew where he was going. His paths aren't the ones that are to be concerned of. It's our paths which he's drawing our attention to. Make your path straight. Our hearts are crooked. Our hearts are not ready to receive him. Our hearts are in, inflamed and engulfed with all kinds of other things that we're holding on to and loving and moving towards. And if we're going to be ready for this kingdom to come, we need to be letting go of these things which are keeping us and our focus and attention on that kingdom which is to come and the Savior who is coming. The way the messenger dresses is directly connected with the message that he gives. We see this in Matthew 3, 4. The messenger, John, wore a garment of camel's hair and leather belt around his waist, and his food was locusts and wild honey. This week I was listening to somebody talk, and they were talking about uh, asking their dad for advice on a test. Dad, you know, what should I do to prepare for this test? And his dad said, well, son, wear a tie to the test. You'll do better. And his thinking was, okay, well, he studied, and so he'd wear a tie, and he did wear a tie, and he did pretty well on the test. But, you know, even this is like 30, 40 years later, and he wonders, well, did I do better on the test because of the tie? And he says, I don't know if I actually did it, but you know what? It set my mind to be there. You know, the way we dress, that's our own mindset, and the way we, we, we see with John the Baptist is affecting the way that people even consider him. Here's a man who is, he is separated from the world because his focus, his intention is on God and his kingdom. And so the things of wealth, the things of power, the things of success, those things mattered little to him in comparison with knowing God and being ready for this kingdom which is to come and to be making it known to the people who are there. And if you look at verse 5, there was a lot of people who wanted to know this. There were people who were interested in this kingdom. There were people who were interested in glory. And there were people who were interested in what God was doing in the world. We see this in verse 5. Then Jerusalem and all Judea and all the region about the Jordan were going out to him. You know, we see happening revival. There's a revival that's taking place through John the Baptist's ministry, this outbreak of, of spiritual life among the people, so much they would travel from all kinds of places in order to go hear him. I mean, these are not short distances. And I've heard that if, um, you know, before the invention of modern transportation, if you were to take a person and where they were and draw a circle, a 20-mile circle around them, they never would have gone outside of 20 miles. You know, so to make any trip like this was a very long trip. And yet here they go, spiritual life was being made known through Israel, and they traveled. What would we do if we knew God's kingdom was coming? What would we do if we knew there was life? And so they're going out, and they're hearing this message. We've heard messages around our own nation about um, certain revivals breaking out, college campuses and other places, Asbury, um, you know, being one of the first ones. You know, and we can only pray, as Pastor Doug prayed earlier, is that God would spread revival, that God would renew people spiritually inside of our nation. I mean, our nation is in desperate need of that. And here we have this message, which has been given by John. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And people seeing the need of repentance in their own nation, seeing the need of repentance in their own life, seeing their place in it, and coming to John, not only to hear it, but also to repent 
themselves. Genuine revival always includes repentance. It always includes uh, repentance. It's not just an emotional experience. It's not just enthusiasm or feel-good religion. General revival is marked as as a work of the Holy Spirit by new conviction of the truths, of the old truths of the historic Christian faith. It's a new conviction, right, of old truths. It's a, it's a new resolve in settling in which has already been established. And then that is seen in the changed lives of those who are truly revived. This is a new life. And so the word that, we, that it uses here for repent in verse 2 is the word, Greek word metnao, describes a change of mind and of heart. It's a change of disposition, right? That formerly this was what I was headed towards. This is what was really important to me. And then now there's a regret over those things and a moving in a new direction. The Hebrew term is shuv, which is to turn, turning away from sin and returning to God. And so the visual image really is, I was going this way, and repentance is, I'm going this way instead. It is a spiritual U-turn. And it's a requirement before anyone will enter into the kingdom of God. In your sidebars, there's a couple quotes I'll use today. One of them is from the Shorter Catechism. If you look in your bulletin under the order of worship, there's a number of sidebars, just quotes, reflections on the passage or the theme we're talking about today. And one of them is from the Westminster Shorter Catechism. And the question is, what is repentance unto life? What does repentance look like? And I love the answer. It's, it's, it's an important answer for us to consider. The Shorter Catechism says, repentance unto life is a saving grace. It's part of our salvation. It's something that's given to us of God. He he changes our hearts. He he opens us um, to this need. And it says, whereby a sinner, out of a true sense of his sin, seeing that this direction I'm going is away from God, it's going after myself, God's over there, and it says, it's turning away from that, away from sin, towards God, and why it says, an apprehension of the mercies of God in Christ. Right? So repentance always includes this bit that I'm going this way and sin over here, but over there, there is a God who loves me, who will receive me, and who will take care of my sins in Christ. There's the apprehension of the mercy of God in Christ, and so with grief and hatred of his sin, turns from it unto God. And why wouldn't we? Why would we hate that sin? Why wouldn't we hate this direction? It's kept me from the God who loves me. It's kept me from the God who gives me life. It's kept me from those things. And over here, there, there's a God who sent his son for me. You know, repentance unto life is a turning away from sin and turning ultimately to God. And it says with full purpose of an endeavor after new obedience. Going back there, that's not life. This is life. This is life. It's with God. And you get rid of those, set those things aside, and as I, by faith, pursue a new direction. Now, with regard to the passage we're looking at here, there's a willingness that he's calling people to, to change their minds and their actions to be in line with his kingdom, which is to come. God is holy. His kingdom is holy. Unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of heaven, and that's why there is a need of change. There's a need of of seeing Christ 
as king to rule over our lives. It's not about reaching a moral perfection inside of our lives. The Bible is clear that all of us have sinned. And as long as we're in this world, we will always have the remains of this sinful nature at work in our lives. But repentance is a recognition that we have fallen short. And then in falling short, we feel remorse for that. We want reconciliation with God. And we put ourselves under the rule of God. Asking for God for mercy. So we realize that repentance is a good thing. We, sometimes we talk about it almost like it's a bad thing, but it's, it's, it's a good thing. I mean, not repenting is failure. Not repenting of a sin that needs to be repented of is failure, but uh, repenting is a success. It's, it's what we're called to do. And we have to remember for any of us that, that repentance is an ongoing practice. It's not just something that we have this box that we need to check. Well, I've repented once, and so that's all, all I've done. Again, one of the sidebars, it's one of the quotes from Martin Luther, his 95 theses, which started the Protestant Reformation. But the very first one, he, he points this out. He says, when our Lord and Master Jesus Christ said repent, he intended that the whole life of believers should be repentance. I mean, that's the life of anyone, whether if, if you're outside of Christ, you're called to repent of your sins and turn to Christ. And when you are in Christ, similarly, you're called to repent of your sin and to turn to Christ. Why do we confess our sins? Why do we do that every week? Because we recognize that, that, that we, over a week, have sinned. And we need to first reconcile to God. And then, you know, the hope is that we would turn and make a change then when it comes to people that we have interacted with the week. Maybe we sinned against somebody and as we confess our sins, we think, you know what? I need to apologize to them. I need to ask for their forgiveness. Or we think as we confess our sins, I need to really ask God for his help in this. You know, I've been going this direction for too long and I need a change. Or a person would think as they confess their sins um, to God, even on Sunday morning, they say, you know what? The sin has been a habit for me and it's gripping hold of me. I, you know, I need to talk to somebody about it. This is the day I need to talk to a friend, a pastor, an elder. I need to, you know, bring this up to the Lord because these things have way too much of a grip on me. I need to let them go and instead pursue after God. Repentance is a good thing. It's a commandment. Acts 17, verse 30 reminds us it's not just something John the Baptist told the people then, but as it says, in times of ignorance, God overlooked, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent because he has fixed a day in which he will judge the world. Without repentance, there's no faith. Repentance is not just being merely sorry for our sins, but it's turning away from sinful behavior and turning toward God. There was children who were once asked about repentance and one said it was about being sorry and one girl defined it better saying, it's being sorry enough to quit. And so what John is calling for is a godly repentance which includes that transformation of the mind, of the heart, and of the action. And the people, as you look at verse 6, they showed a willingness to that. And they showed it in their baptism. Verse 6, we read this, and they were baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. Now the baptisms, they're a powerful testimony to the revival that God was bringing about in their land. They were willing to publicly renounce sin. 
to renounce the world and to turn and to turn back towards God, to look forward to that kingdom. They were setting their eyes in a different way. Now, this is a different baptism than we would talk about today. For example, when we baptize, we baptize in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. That's what we're commanded to do. And that's something that John the Baptist wouldn't have been able to do. That's because when we are baptized, we're baptized into Christ, in his death, and his resurrection. Neither of those had happened there. And if we look forward into Acts chapter 18, we see that, you know, that some of the people knew the baptism of John, but they needed to be retrained. They needed to be trained in, in Jesus and in his work. And so, you know, he has a, um, you know, John the Baptist is looking through uh, a, a dark mirror. He's, he's looking forward to things which have yet to be revealed in their fullness, but he's preparing people for what will be revealed. Our, trini- our baptisms are Trinitarian, right? Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. But as he says in verse 11, he baptizes them with a baptism of repentance, Right, those who were repenting of sin and looking for this new kingdom which was to come. It's helpful to work, know that the Greek word for baptism here, baptizo, it doesn't um, always infer a immersion, but it uh, simply refers to a washing. We could look at Hebrews 9.10. We see that the word there is used, to, is translated, baptism is translated washing, describes a ritual purification uh, for people to approach God. Not all of those washings that we see inside the Old Testament, they were, not all of them were immersions, but, had, but they all had some aspect of ceremonial cleansing. So John would have understood baptism in its Old Testament um, pattern, the washings of purification. Um, you know, something that we have a greater sense of now that Jesus has come. You know, but this is a significant moment for every person who's baptized there. They're looking forward to the kingdom. You know, and, and it's interesting the order that we see taking place here. You know, as it says, and this is going to come back later, especially next week. But it says that they were baptized by him in the river, confessing their sins. I think the order is important. They were, you know, maybe doing these things together. But it notices the baptism first. They, they would come mindful of, of the the way that God purifies sins, the way that God cleanses, the mercy of God that is available. And then knowing that mercy, knowing that forgiveness, they would stand there and they would confess their sins. Like, I've, I'm, I'm washed. I've repented. I've come. I've, I've had this purification. And now, now knowing the purification of God, I'm going to confess my sins because I'm not going to walk in those things anymore. I'm going to walk in the newness of life. You know, publicly declare, you know, the sins and to be turning away from them, that is, that is a bold move. You know, here they are with John, here they are with all of those who are around, and they're, and they're bringing those things to light. And that's a really important thing with uh, confession and repentance, the remembrance that, that we need, you know, times, you know, well, we got to bring our sins to light. Sometimes people can be struggling with the sin for a long period of time. And they keep repenting over and over to God. And they really want release for it. But the one thing that they're afraid to do is to bring that darkness into the light and to find the help that they need. You know, if you're too afraid to uh, bring up a sin to somebody, you know, maybe this is the time to do it. Especially if you've been wrestling with it for a long time and you're not finding grace and release to it. To talk to somebody about that. To bring that sin out into the light is part of your repentance. 
We really need help of one another in this. And so for you, have you come to the place where you see your need of change, of your need of forgiveness? John the Baptist tells us God has a kingdom, and if we're in sin, unbelief, evil, we'll miss it. In repentance, we recognize where our life is out of line with God's law, out of line with God's promises, and we commit to turn to what displeases him to what pleases him. All right, so first we've seen the response of those who seem to genuinely come, and they come in repentance. They're looking for this kingdom. Well, if you go to verse seven, you see, and this is our second point, the resistance to repentance. And we see who's resistant. You have the spiritual leaders of the day. Verse seven, but when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to his baptism, he said to them, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Right, he's hard on them. You know, these two groups are a relatively small group inside of Israel at the time. I read one person said they were about 5% of the overall population. And yet, you know, their influence and impact on the spiritual life of Israel at the time was enormous. Sometimes I wonder why they come, right? We can remember there are people, um, if we remember what happens in John chapter 3, and you have Nicodemus, and he's curious and he's going to Jesus and he's, you know, beginning to ask questions. Were, were some of them curious? Were some of them self-assured um, re- religious leaders? And they're self-assured on the outside, but, you know, but, one, but they're also seeing this great revival take place. Is there something that's part of their lives that's missing? Is there a coldness and a deadness there to their spiritual lives, which, which they wonder, well, maybe there's something over there that I need to pay more attention to? Is there a curiosity that's there. And, and every year around our world, we see people leaving, you know, these very um, robust, steadfast communities which are not in Jesus Christ because they see something different in the gospel. They see something in, in Christ, whether it's a Muslim community or some of the more strict Jewish communities, people leave because they see, you know, what I've been practicing and holding on to has just been dead. And there's life among believers. They have a relationship with God. They know him. There's love there. There's joy there. And people turn that way. But it's also sometimes for people who profess to be Christians because it is entirely possible that, you know, that, and it does happen all the time, that outwardly we have this form of religion, but it's cold, it's judgmental, it's, it, there's no relationship with God. All we're doing is just kind of going through the motions, and then we look around and we see other people who have a vibrancy of life, and we're drawn towards that. And then we begin to hear, of our sin, of Jesus' death on the cross, how he brings people back to himself, and we find joy and we find love in, in those things. There, there's, there's a draw as we see revival take place to bring us out of spiritual complacency, to bring us out of the deadness of our own hearts in order to bring us to Christ. There's, there's, joy, there's, there's joy that we can find in that. Maybe you, you're, here, you're tired of the coldness of spiritual pretending. But John's pretty hard on them, so I don't think most of them come with that. They're likely there to critique, likely there to judge, likely to trap John in something. And that's why he calls them a brood of vipers, because there's no room of repentance in their lives. Uh, They're distant from God. They're working to discredit uh, John's work. And then ultimately, they're keeping people away from the kingdom of God, and it's ultimately for their own purposes. And so John confronts them. They're, they're too proud to repent. 
They're part of the spiritual problem of the life of Israel. Pride is just such a hindrance to repentance and life. So he says they need to repent. They're poisoning the spiritual life of Israel. And he gives an instruction in verse eight. Verse eight he says, bear fruit in keeping with repentance. They're maintaining a position, maintaining power, maintaining influence, but they're not producing fruit. And it's a, a verse that challenges us. Are we bearing fruit inside of our own Christian lives? Are we bearing fruit as a church? Sometimes repentance means um, that I have this thing that I'm doing in my life and I need to stop doing that because it's wrong. And then sometimes repentance means, you know, there's a whole big gaping uh, part of my life of things that I should be doing, but I'm not. I'm not taking the time for generosity. I'm not taking the time for hospitality. I'm not taking the time for worship. I'm not taking the time for love with this specific person that I need to love. And so some of repentance is turning away from, um, you know, turning away from our refusal to do those things. It's a reminder that we're called to repent of our own sins and not someone else's sins. You know, as we come here, we're not coming here, you know, looking out in the world and saying, you know, the world is so horrible. It's so terrible. Look at all the awful things that people are doing. And when we come here, we come saying, Lord, examine my heart. Test my heart. See if there's anything offensive in me and lead me in the way that is everlasting. So we're asking God to examine us and to search us and then ultimately to lead us to repentance. If we go to verse nine, we see one of the things that's keeping them from repentance is that they're, they think they're overly, you know, pretty good people, pretty good chaps here. It says, and do not pretend to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father, for I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. I mean, here they are, they're, they're Jewish men, uh, their heritage, they're the best race of people, God's chosen people, God accepts them the way they are, he's given them their, his, his law, God approves them just because they're alive, and it's a, it's a dangerous presumption. I mean, they're, under, they're still under God's judgment, as John the Baptist is pointing to them. It's like many that are even in our own world, like we think that God is obligated to love us. There's a presumption that's on it. I'm, you know, um, God must automatically think that we're okay. God must approve everything that we do, but that is not the case. God isn't accept us because we're a special snowflake or a unicorn or we're baptized or our parents were Christians because we're Americans, because we're skin color. I mean, trusting any of those things is presumption, but what does God want? Micah 6.8 tells us, he has told you, old man, what is good. What does the Lord require of you but to do justice, to love kindness, to walk humbly with your God? He looks to a heart of faith, responding to his promises and looking in repentance. It's not about being perfect, but to know there is a perfect God who forgives and redeems and restores as we come to him. John reminds them of how important faith and good fruit is. Look at verse 10. Even now the ax is laid the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. If we jump down to verse 12, we see actually it's the Messiah who's going to be a judge. It says, his winnowing fork is in his hand. He will clear out his threshing floor, gather his wheat into the barn. That's bringing people into heaven. But the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. We see even the son who's involved in the judgment in the end. Bear fruit in keeping with repentance. Repentance shows up in fruitful 
and productive lives. It shows up in love, it shows up in care, it shows up in obedience to God's command, but it's turning away from sin and turning the one that there is life. So it's a call to repentance, it's a call to, to, for them to look forward to the kingdom that's come, to us is a call to look forward and ultimately to Christ. We are turning towards something. And that's the point I want to make my last point here. Because remember, John's work was to prepare them, make, make straight these paths. There's a call to readiness and a call to preparation to, to meet with Christ. Verse 11, he tells them about this Savior who's to come. I baptize you with water for repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. John's point is that he can lead them to repentance, but he cannot give them life. He can tell them that there is a kingdom to come, but he's not the one who's going to give his life to bring them into that kingdom. Only the Savior would do that. In the end, only Jesus would do that. Jesus would give his life to pay the penalty for sin so that people could come into that kingdom. They could be part of that. John could talk about it, and that was really important. They needed to know it was coming. In fact, that's what we do, right? That's our calling. We're not prophets like John is, but the Bible in 2 Corinthians 5.20 says we're ambassadors, Right, we are ambassadors. We have a message which has been given to us by God that Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners. Believe in him. Trust in him. There is a judgment to come. It's part of the story, that's part of the message. But God has dealt with that judgment by sending his son to die on a cross to pay the penalty of that sin. So as we go and we talk to people, we say there's life in Christ. There's hope in Christ. What you see now is the effect of sin. Um, what you see now is the effect of, of, of a sinful fall world. But Jesus Christ came to build his kingdom through his own sacrifice on the cross. We have that very critical role. And like John the Baptist, we might say, who's worthy of this? John the Baptist said he's not fit to carry Jesus' sandals. And we're not either, you know, but yet God uses us. God uses us for that purpose. We go nowhere by accident. We bring the Lord Christ with us wherever we go. He's brought us by his grace into his family. By his grace, he has forgiven our sins. By grace, he's commissioned us to go to tell the world's ambassador. We've sinned against God, and yet he's been so gracious to us in forgiving us. We're beggars who found bread We've seen the, the cost of sin. We've seen what it does in our lives and the lives of others. And as those who found bread, we cannot help but talk about it. John could not wait to see the kingdom come. And as we look for the ultimate consummation of that kingdom, we also anticipate that great day, and we want to see others to know it and to be a part of it as well. Now, John, in the passage, he compares two kinds of baptisms— Right, first in verse 11 he talks about his own baptism, baptize you with water for repentance. But when the Savior comes, he says he'll baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. The Holy Spirit and fire. You know, when, when Jesus comes, you know, as we saw in verse 12, you know, he is the one who brings some to eternal life and he is the one who is also a judge in the end. There's a fire, we see a fire of God's judgment to refuse Christ and to deny, reject the salvation that he has given to us is to leave somebody with no other possibility of salvation, no other way of life. 
but he comes to baptize with the Holy Spirit. And that Holy Spirit who brings conviction into a person's life, who the Holy Spirit who comes in, and the Holy Spirit is a fire, right? It showed up as flames of fire on the day of Pentecost on, on, on people's foreheads. Um, um, you know, but it's the sign that God is present with them and that, and that ultimately that God is burning away that sin. He's burning away that desire of sin. He's burning away that love of sin. I mean, there is a work that God does in us and giving that Holy Spirit to us of, of making sin something that we hate, making sin something we don't like, taking away our appetite for it, and giving us a greater desire for Christ himself. 1 Peter 1, 7 says, The tested genuineness of your faith is more precious than gold that perishes. Those tested by fire may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So, you know, our faith is tested. It's tested as of by fire. And what happens in the end is proven to be genuine and proven to be true. And so the Holy Spirit coming into us, there is a fire and it does test us. And, and as the Holy Spirit burns away these other interests, what's left but a love of God and a delight in him and the joy and love proving the genuineness of a faith. It brings fire to refine us. Zechariah 13.9 talks about this. It talks about putting a third into the fire, and this says, and refine them as one refines silver, and it tests them as gold is tested. They will call upon my name, and I will answer them. I will say, they are my people, and they will say, the Lord is my God. And so as Jesus has come, he brings, he, he, he comes, and he, he sends the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit brings us under conviction, the Holy Spirit opens our eyes to see the glories of Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit comes and he helps us to see the awful effects of our sin and brings us to faith. This is the work of God in salvation. This is the joy of knowing Jesus Christ and the life that he gives. And maybe you're here and the, you, know, the, you, you hear this message of the Holy Spirit, repent of your sin, you're apart from Christ. You're not in Christ. You know that you're choosing to willingly walk in sin. You're choosing to deliberately go another way. You know, the scripture's word for you and message is, is don't quench that spirit. Don't quench that spirit. Don't leave off that way of life that he has given to you. But to know the power of God. And to know the power of God that though he says, Turn away from sin, turn to Christ, and you'll find life. And as hard and difficult as it may seem, to be open and honest about sin, to turn away from that habit, you know that whatever you're exchanging there, you receive a hundred times or more in Jesus Christ. Those things just bring misery. And yet we can hold on to them so tightly, so firmly. God says, let go of those things. Find his kingdom find liberty, find life, find it in Jesus Christ. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, there is nothing that compares with Jesus. And Lord, in light of that, help us to repent. Help us to let go of those things that we need to let go of. Father, we may take hold of this gift of eternal life in Jesus. Father, help us to turn away from those things which are leading us towards death. Father, and that you would bring us and point our feet in the direction where there is life. God, we do it so imperfectly, Father, and sometimes we feel like we're just inching forward. 
Father, it's enough for, this, for some of us at this point, just, Lord, point our feet in the right direction. Point our feet in the right direction, that we'd turn away from sin, we'd turn to Christ, we'd see what he has uh, for us. Father, you would give us that hope that's in his kingdom, that the hope that, that comes in knowing the forgiveness of sins and the joy which is in knowing and walking with him. Father, thank you that for everything that we do repent of, there's so much more that we lay hold of in Christ. Convince us of that. Convince us of his worth, his value, his glory. We pray this all in Jesus' name.